Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, my next guest today is doing something remarkable. For a start, it's five five o'clock in the morning where he is. So first of all, I'm extremely grateful for him to be out of bed at five in the morning. Steve, I can't remember the last time I was out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. I think it was as part of some sort of jet lag <laughs> process. But we're going to talk about well, when I... psychology today with uh, Stephen Campbell, Steve Campbell, and um, all about recent exciting developments over the last 60 years. So hi, Steve. Hello. How are you? Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. So um, I say it's five in the morning. I know only ask where, where you are in the world and what the weather's like, but I suppose it's dark wherever you are in the world. Today. Right now, yes, it's dark. I am about 60 miles north of San Francisco in America, United okay. States, in a little yeah. place called Runner Park. Runner little Park. town up there. Yeah. 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 So how are things settling down over there? Since They are actually... Uh, California has the least number of new virus infections of any state in the union. So we're really, California is doing really well. Of course, things could change within a day. It's crazy, but uh, it's very encouraging. So people are still wearing masks. They're still social distancing. They're doing everything, but our infection rate is really down. So which is great because we were running out of beds there for a while. So yeah. Yeah, it's been a tough time. And I'm guessing some of the um, changes in cognitive psychology in the last six years will explain COVID and be explained by COVID. So mm -hmm. um, why don't you just tell everybody what it is you do? Well, I am a retired professor. I taught for 30 years. My graduate degree actually was in computer science, but I found myself teaching a lot of psychology courses because I also am an expert in that. And the message that I share with my students is simply that while I'm talking to you, you're talking to yourself literally thousands of times faster. How can your brain do that? Well, when I talk to you, I use words. And when you talk to yourself, you also use words. But when we talk to ourselves mainly, mainly we use pictures and feelings. So when I think of my wife, Mary, I don't think of her with words. I think of how I feel about her and how pretty she's become to me in the 50 years we've been married. So we're talking to ourselves far faster than I'm talking to you. But here's, I think, one of the most exciting discoveries of cognitive psychology. 
And that is this, that while you're talking to yourself, your brain is believing everything you tell it without question. Ugh. That's okay. scary. All right, let's, let's, unpack, let's unpack a bit of that if we may then. So, um, so you say we don't use words, but I mean, we obviously do use words. Yes, We're talking in yes. terms of, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, and, and I get that your brain believes everything you're telling it because it is its own reality, isn't it? You're, you're, mm -hmm. You are your own god in a funny sort of way. Now, yes. but tell me more about this feeling side of things. Can we just start by unpacking what, what, do, you, what do you mean by feelings in this case? Well, it's interesting. Uh, let's look at the work of Dr. Albert Ellis, who wrote a little book called A Guide to Rational Living back in 1961. Yeah. What he suggested, and he's one of the fathers of cognitive psychology, is that our feelings primarily, not completely, of course, but our feelings primarily about ourselves don't come from how we were raised or events in our lives or failures or successes, nor do they come from Dr. Thackeray. They come from our beliefs about how we were raised and our beliefs about successes and failures. Our feelings don't come from the pandemic. They're coming from our beliefs about the pandemic. Now let's narrow that down a little bit more. People say to me, well, I'm not really sure what I believe. And I tell them there's a wonderful handle on that. And that is your self-talk. Mm. If you want to know what you're believing, listen to what you're saying to yourself about everything. Listen to what you're saying to yourself about yourself, about the pandemic, about how you were raised, etc. So let me give you a little story that illustrates this. For the first 42 years of my life, I said to myself, I truly believe that I was stupid, especially with numbers. I especially believed I was dumb with numbers, with not with math. Yeah. And yet back in the 70s, I'm 73, back in the 70s, I discovered computers and I began tinkering around with computers on my own. This is even before the Apple and the the Altair and all that. And I discovered that computers are really fun. So I went back to school, got a graduate degree in computer science, and I began teaching computer courses. And one day the dean came to the office, he said, one of our math professors quit, Mr. Campbell, so you are our new math professor. <gasps> um, I can't do numbers. He said, you want a job? Learn, there's the book. Next semester, you're teaching math. Well, I needed a job, so I ran down to the Rona Park Library of all places, and I picked up all the books I could on brain-based learning, how the brain learns physiologically, axon, dendrites, etc. And I began teaching my course based on how the brain learns, and students began saying, oh my goodness, you're such a wonderful math teacher. You make it so easy, it's so much fun. I love the way you teach. And then the dean said, all the students are saying, I will only take math if Mr. Campbell's my professor. So what I began doing is I began replacing what I had been saying to myself for 42 years about being stupid. Mm -hmm. I began saying, you know what? If I'm so smart with computers, I got to be smart with math. And I love teaching math. This is really a fun thing. So let's go back to our brain believes what we, let's go back to our brain believes what we tell it. When I said that, my brain said, oh, okay. 
You're absolutely right. You're really smart. Now, a little sign like there, what if what you're saying is not true? Your brain doesn't care. The book that I read and the professor that I love on that is Dr. Uh, V.S. Ramachandra, not of UC San Diego. He wrote a little book called The Guide to Rational Living called Phantoms in the Brain. I'm sorry, his book was Phantoms in the Brain. Phantoms refer to phantom limbs that have been amputated. Yes. And the patient will go into a doctor's office, he'll say, you gotta help me, I can't do a thing with that arm. And the doctor may say, well, that could be because I cut off that arm six months ago. Yeah. And the patient says, you didn't tell my brain that. So the brain doesn't care what your witness, what you're saying is true or not. So I began saying to myself, this is really fun. I'm having a good time doing this. I'm really smart at this. And my brain said, yeah, you really are. Now here's the exciting part. I kept saying that and my brain began to rewire itself. Hmm. This is called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. Eric Kendall, Nobel Prize 2002, in search of memory. And what the brain does is it rewires itself based on the messages we are giving it. So when I began saying to myself, I'm really smart with computers, my brain said, yeah, you really are. And the more I taught it, the more I realized how intelligent I really was. And I ended up writing two college textbooks on what do you think? Computer software and math. So the point that I want to make, and I think this is so very exciting, and this go back to the work of Dr. Albert Ellis, is that everything we can do today is primarily based on what we say to ourselves about ourselves today. Now, he suggested this psychology had a condition fit back in the 1960s. They said, no, 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 no. The way you are today is based on your childhood. Unresolved childhood conflicts, that was Freudianism. Hmm. That was followed by behaviorism, Dr. B.S. Skinner out of Harvard University, who said, no, 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 the way you are today is based on cause and effect. It's all cause and effect. Then a group came out that said, no, the way you are today is based all on your genes, which is obviously wrong. We're far more than our genes. Then another group came on. They said, you know what? The way you are today is based on your environment, your birth order, your mom, your dad, etc." And Dr. Ellis came back and he said, you know what? I think they're all true. Wait a minute. How could they all be true? Because when you say it, your brain's job is to make it true and i saw that in my own life and then i saw that in the life life of my wife and my children and my daughters and i began traveling around the world sharing this message to people and the results were amazing and i had never really planned on this when i retired back in 2008 i said okay i'm retired from teaching but this message was so wonderful i just began sharing it with senior centers Okay, you're in me, California. Let me let me hop in then and ask a few questions, if I may. Yes, um, of course. Because people will be people will be. I mean, I, I I happen to believe what you're saying because I'm a cognitive psychologist as well, so I, I get it. Um, yeah. So the, the the questions which are frequently thrown at us are: It's all very well saying this, but you should be inside of my head, and you think I can control my thoughts? You must be mad. So that's mm -hmm. one thing that's often said. The second mm -hmm. thing is uh, you and I both know that this, this theory is supported by confirmation bias and the work of David Eagleman in neuroscience, mm -hmm. because actually mm -hmm. we see this all the time. Yeah. But the brain also needs evidence as well, doesn't it? Because you can say something, 
But your point is about rewiring. Rewiring doesn't happen yeah. in a fraction of a second. What you have to do is believe it and then do it. Believe it and then do it. In yes. a sense, what you're doing is you're, bu you're building neuroconfidence. Uh, sorry, you're building confidence and neuroplasticity together. Yes. Because mm -hmm. you could be, I mean, Ellis was very famous about this, wasn't it? He said, you could believe it, but unless you do your, unless you do it, it doesn't really matter whether you believe it or not. That's right. It's only in the, you believe it, then you do it. Then you have that lovely self-reinforcing loop. And yes. then you have this myth of the of the habits thing coming into play, don't you? About mm -hmm. it takes ages to change habits, but it doesn't. It, it you can reset habits very quickly, but you have to understand the thinking and the doing piece. So, yeah. what, what how how would you how would you um, well tackle that? When I I talk about habits, I also talk about self images. I place a great deal of emphasis on self images. Now, notice that I did not say self image. No. I said self-images. I'm a first-year baby boomer. I was taught you have a self-image. You have to you have to flourish your self-images. You have to help it to really mature. Well, that's only partially true. It turns out that we have thousands of self-images. I have a self-image for every single thing that I do, as you yeah. do too. I have a self-image of how I see myself as a grandfather, as a teacher, as a pianist, as a musician, as a as all these things. So I have all these self-images. Now, where did they come from? Where do our self-images come from? Our self-images are primarily learned. You were not born with them. Now, you and I, everyone was born with certain natural dispositions. I was born a natural teacher. I've always been a teacher. When I was a kid, I used to put rocks in my backyard pretending I was teaching them. Okay, so we all had this natural ability. My wife is a natural organizer. My daughter is a natural writer, but our self images are different. Our self images are learned. And this is what's so wonderful about that because it's so easy to understand. They're learned from our self talk. Yes. Our self images come from what we are saying to ourselves about ourselves. Okay. So let me illustrate how we learn things. And I'll use Sarah as an example. Sarah's our youngest daughter. Sarah was raised in Roner Park. The closest thing to a city in Roner Park is the Rayleigh Shopping Center. So she knew nothing about a city. So Mary said, we got to teach Sarah about the city. This is when she was three years old, about 40 years ago. I said, you're absolutely right. So I read her a book. I'm an academic. And here's how the brain learns. The brain took that book and it created a neural cluster, a little teeny weeny cluster of neurons in the prefrontal cortex up under your forehead. I read her another book, the brain recorded that as another cluster, which took us some friends in San Francisco and Oakland, showed us some skyscrapers, some sirens and all the things. And the brain's recording all this stuff. So you have all these clusters gathering in her brain during the day during the day when she went to sleep that night here's what her brain does her brain says oh wonderful good now leave me alone for the next eight hours because now what i need to do while you're asleep is i need to make sense out of all the stuff that you gave me during the day because i didn't have time to get to look at it during the day i just accepted it but yeah. now i need to arrange it so it goes through and looks at all this stuff and it begins to develop connections and patterns and schemas. How many patterns can the brain carry? They're based on the number of brain cells that you have. The latest study I've seen is about 83 billion. Each of those 83 billion cells are connected to an average of 10,000 other cells. So that's not a multiple, that's a power. So the number of patterns which the brain can carry 
is 83 billion to the power of 10,000. Mm. That's 83 billion times 83 billion, 10,000 times. Dr. Ramachandran says on page eight of his book that neuromathematicians have calculated the number of patterns which the human brain can carry basically exceeds the number of elementary particles in the universe. Now there's really no limit, but you yeah. know what doctor, there really is. And when I share with my, this presentation to people, I always share my, these two slides. And that is this, that the primary element that holds us back from learning and growing and changing is what we say to ourselves. Yeah, it's our self-talk. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to our self-talk. Our self-images are based on our self-talk. So what can we do? We can replace our self-talk, which replaces our self-images. Notice I didn't say change. I never use the word change because you know, as well I know, is that the brain hates change. Yeah. The brain doesn't want to change. The brain wants to keep you safe. Its job is to keep you risk-free. So I never use the word change. I use the word replace. So let's go back to me and math. Stupid in math, I began replacing my self-talk. I began saying, wait a minute. I'm really good at this. This is really easy. And my brain created a new self-image of me being smart in math. Mm. And the more I taught, and the more I spoke to students, and the more I wrote, the more it became a reality to me. Yeah. Now, there is an old self-image of being really stupid in math in my brain. It's still there. How do I know? Because I've never had lobotomy. Yeah. So I know what's there. And I could go back to that anytime I wanted to, but every single time I teach a new course in math, my brain rewires itself and it says things like, this is really fun, I can do this, I'm having such a good time. So going back to what you said, it's a matter of taking this self-talk and using it and watching it work. It isn't sitting back and saying, well, I'm maybe kind of smart in math. No, you got to teach math to see how smart you are. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? You have to. That's the point. People, people think that rewiring the brain is just, there's a, difference, there's a difference between having an opinion and rewiring the brain. Having an, an opinion is saying, hey, I'm good at maths. It is simply an opinion. It's not a belief. It's not being right. reinforced or constructed or evidenced or slept upon. That's right. Whichever way you want to do it. And I, and I think people yeah. forget that it's, it's not, a simple process to do this no. because sometimes you're fighting so for example people who are anxious are saying things like oh i've got this wrong oh my god what have i done mm -hmm. i'm so stupid people hate me what this will happen my legs will fall off blah blah blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's it's that's a very well trodden pattern it takes time to rewire that pattern absolutely and, and some of the cbt methods you know themselves are quite onerous and there's an argument that we really should be thinking about replacing some of those tools and maybe you know ellis's idea of disputations such like they've you know they've been superseded and and i'm wondering yeah. if some of that's in your book are you yeah. building none of that is in my book i don't go quite that deeply in my book my book is very practical it's written on a sixth grade level um so it's a really easy read short chapters a lot of illustrations because my book was written 
it's interesting how my book got written. I began teaching this all over the place and people began saying, where's your book, where's your book, where's your book? Yeah. What book? Don't you have a book? Well, no, I've got two college textbooks on. No, 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 no. You have to write a book. You have to write a book and repeat this and write it the same way you're teaching it with a lot of illustrations, a lot of PowerPoints, a lot of all this sort of stuff. So I wrote the book and lo and behold, it began selling and I was shocked and it still is selling. And it's, it's, it's really written for non-scientific people. It's written for, it originally was written for, for seniors, for older people. Yeah. And then I discovered that teenagers loved it and young people loved it and athletics loved it and all sorts of them. In fact, they all used it. And I was shocked. I was shocked. So it doesn't go quite that deeply into that. I recommend people read Guide to Rational Living and Phantoms in the Brain and other amazing books, How to Get It Out of Your Own Way by um, other people's. But no, I don't get into that. And, and so you have um, a couple, well, one book in particular that is, well, to mm. a sense, Tame Your Mind, Unleash Your Life, which is more of a digital course, and also this Making Your Mind Magnificent book. This is the book you're now talking about, yeah? Yes, yes. So tell us mm -hmm. tell us a little bit, so you told us a little bit about the, the level of it, but what sort of things are covered in the book, Steve? Well, at the end of every presentation, I say, okay, this is really great, this is wonderful, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Because if you don't, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So there's really two applications that you can use uh, when you're listening to this. One is when you do something really, really well, and one is when you mess up. When you do something really, really well, people often say, oh, that was wonderful. You did such a great job. And a study out of Stanford University back in 1975 called the effort effect discovered that most of us pass over our successes. We just pass them over way too quickly, too lightly for them to ever become a part of who we are. So when someone says to us, good job, we often say, oh, not really, that's embarrassing, that's egotistical, it wasn't really good, I was, I'll try harder next time I was part of a team, etc." And those compliments fall to the floor. So what I tell people is, okay, so rather than passing over your successes, when someone says good job, you look at them, you smile and you say, you know what? That makes me feel really nice. Thank you hmm. for taking the time to tell me that. And then when you're by yourself, you wallow in your success like a pig in sloth. You wallow in it because your brain's believing everything you tell it. And so when you say that was really good, your brain says, yeah, it really was. And this is the work of Dr. E.P. Seligman out of the University of um, Pennsylvania. His discovery is that your brain not only says good job, it also says, and you could even be better. Yeah. You could even be better. Let's try this and try that. So that's in the one application. The other application is when we mess up. When we mess up, which all of us do every single day. Unfortunately, when we mess up, we often say to ourselves, oh my goodness, how could I have been so stupid? Yeah. And the brain pops up and says, oh, I know. <laughs> Remember that dumb thing you did yesterday? And that dumb thing you did a week ago, a month ago, a year ago? 
and we almost get our list. We start going down the list of all the dumb things we've ever done. Now, this is what's so dangerous about that. Hmm. Is that when you do that, your brain does not know that those memories happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. The brain's recording those memories, and that's all they are, memories again, along with the feelings, but this time as if they happen when? Right now. Right now, that's right. And then you're carrying that stuff around. That's why out of this is out of Chad Helmsbetter's book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Most of what we say to ourselves is negative crap. Yeah. And that's a human trait. It's not just some people, it's everyone. Most of what we say to ourselves is negative stuff. So what do you do when you mess up? Number one, you throw away the list. Throw it away. You don't need it. And then you use three wonderful words. You know what the words are, doctor? The next time. The next time I'll do it this way. And when you say the next time, you're saying three things. Number one, you're saying there is a next time. How many next times do we get? As many as we want. Wow. Number two, when you say the next time, you're saying I'll never give up, ever. And then the best for last. Number three, when you say the next time, you're saying, you know what? I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm still changing, which means I'm also making mistakes. Yeah. But just because I fail doesn't mean I'm a failure. And that's really important. That is the secret of this, isn't it? It's the, it's the dissociation with the description, isn't it? It's this difference between saying, I am anxious, rather than saying, I am experiencing anxiety. Exactly. I, I have exactly. failed rather than being, I am a failure. And this resetting or reframing of the language is apt. I mean, people Absolutely. really, people don't understand the power of self-narrative, do they? And it's, oh, it is, yeah. In, rather in the than story, I am... Go on, the story that you create for yourself is you. That's the thing you yeah, have to remember. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than I am a cook, I'm a person who cook. Rather than I am That's a teacher, it. I'm a person who teaches. I think one of the most, most favorite stories that summarizes all of what I just shared with you over the last half hour is when I ended up teaching math at USF. A student came to my office, very shy, sat down. She said, Mr. Campbell, I'm so glad you're my professor because I am a C student in math. I said, how do you know, Sue? Because I've never gotten above the senior math test. I said, well, I used to be that way. So I worked with her. She got an A in the first midterm. And I gave her the test. She absolutely freaked out. And she said, oh, Mr. Campbell, this is a mistake. I said, what do you mean, Sue? She said, I have never gotten a C- anything above a senior math test. You must have graded this wrong. Yeah, that's right. And I said, I didn't, Sue. This is a genuine A. So then she looked at it longer. And then a big smile creased over her face. And she said, do you know what this means? And of course, now I'm getting excited. So I sat down next to her. I said, of course I do, Sue, but I want you to tell me, what does this mean? This means, Mr. Campbell, that when I flunk the next test, I can still maintain my C. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I said, Sue, just get an A in every test. She said, I can't. Why? Because I'm a C student. And that's exactly what happened. She flunked the next test. She got a C in the course. So I sat down with her. I said, Sue, answer me this. What would have happened if you had flunked this first test? Do you know what she said, doctor, without a moment's hesitation? She said, easy. I would have said like crazy to get A on the next test. I'd have to maintain my C. I said, get an A in every test. She said, I can't. Why? Because I'm a C student. I've always been this way. This is the way I was raised. 
This is where I was stuck. This is what I feel about myself. This is what I look like. This is what I cannot do. Or, or, do you know when your old life ended, doctor? One second ago. One second ago, it just ended. So when did your new life begin? One second ago. Now do the math, 60 seconds per minute, 60 minutes per hour, 24 hours per day. In one 24 hour period, we have 86,400 new opportunities for new life every single day. Yeah. That's All so we have to do isn't it? is take yeah. them. Yeah. What we have to do is choose. Yeah, it's, people, it's a choice. It is a choice, and this is it. I mean, this comes back to the, as you say, the Marcy Seligman stuff around positive psychology and emotional intelligence, resilience, which is my yes. work. Yes. It, it is. It's every single thing is a choice. Mm -hmm. And you choose to be miserable, you choose to be happy, you choose to be sad, <laughs> you choose, I mean, it's just all. I mean, oh. you know, it's a, it's a classic thing in leadership management. We have someone who's underperforming. Yeah. My challenge yeah. is always, why are you choosing to underperform? Yeah. You know, it's that thing, isn't it? I love reading the titles uh, in the table of contents of Dr. Ellis's book because like, he deals with everything, how to deal with how you're raised and all. Your feelings are primarily coming from your beliefs yeah. and you can replace those beliefs. Is it easy? Of course not. Because some of the beliefs we have had about ourselves, we've had our entire lives, but we can replace them. It's, it's, it's interesting. Them. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's also not complicated. And people think no. it's, and people think the problem is with um, CBT and you know some yeah. of the tools and cognitive yeah. psychology. They yeah. seem too easy. And actually, almost people think, well, you know, that's not that's not possible. It's not possible just to change your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I have built. I, I actually go with rather than self image images. We I talk more about identity as a thing because I, I think yes. we're saying the same thing, but using a slide. I think we are, yeah, and yeah. And it's, I think sometimes in academia we talk about this idea of violent, violent agreement. So I think we're probably going to do that now. And I think people do identify. They like to identify. They have an identity. How many how many meet people do you meet in your fifties, especially guys who say, "Hi, my name's Gary. I'm an accountant," yeah. and then they lose the job of being an accountant, and then they're yeah. nothing anymore. Because yeah. that's that's their entire identity, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been in the military. I'm a vet. I don't have to be anything else. I don't have to be happy or sad or mm -hmm. anything else. It's enough that I'm a vet. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I mean, veteran if you're in the UK here, not a veterinary. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it is interesting. This whole idea is absolutely fascinating. So where can we find the book, Steve? Because I think we have to move My on. My book is found on Amazon. My book yeah. is found on Amazon. Tell us it's the title Make a making your mind magnificent. Brilliant. And uh, and if we can get hold of your website at tell us the uh, Stephen Stephen R Campbell.com. S-T-E-V-E-N-R Campbell.com. And that R's important because that's the vital yes. part of the branding. Yes, vital part of it. Yeah. Brilliant. It's been a joy to talk to you today. Thank I thoroughly you. enjoyed it. I would enjoy it because we're we're basically are going to we have basically agreed for the last half an hour. So we <laughs> both know we I mean yeah. we're both going to tell ourselves we're marvelous people and we're just right because we know those thoughts are true. <laughs> That's right. And our brain believes it. Yep. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Steve. You're I welcome. Appreciate your You're time. welcome. You take care. You too. Bye. Hi everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. 
Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.